last week, we in H2O, we began our uh, sermon series in Revelation, uh, and we are calling that the one who is faithful. And so um, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, to continue to go through this series this whole semester. Um, Grant last week gave us a lot of foundational stuff to keep in mind while we're going through Revelation as well as going through Revelation 1. So you guys can check that out on our website or on our app if you're interested. Uh, this week we're going to be beginning to go through the letters to the churches that are in the beginning of Revelation. And so we're going to spend seven weeks on that because there are seven letters. And uh, each of these letters is written to a real church uh, from Jesus that, that existed whenever this was written. Um, but they kind of act as these kind of archetypes of, of, of different types of churches and, and things that different churches are, are doing well in or struggling in. And so they're very, very applicable to us here today. Um, and, and even we'll talk some more about why that's the case in a little bit. And so this week we're starting with the very first letter, which is the letter to Ephesus in Revelation. There's another letter to Ephesus written by Paul, but this letter is written uh, directly from Jesus and John records it in Revelation. And so um, we're going to be in Revelation 2, starting in verse 1. And so let me pray, and then we can dig into the scriptures. Father, um, we just want you to meet us here. God, we want you to meet us here, and we want you to speak to us through your word and through uh, your scriptures, Lord, and through me. And God, uh, we just ask that um, we'd hear you speak and we'd uh, listen, God, to your voice. God, we thank you for loving us and loving us enough to be a relational God, a God that cares about the ins and outs of our lives, and God, a, a God that wants to meet us here. So um, thank you for loving us first, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Revelation 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. That's talking about the pastor of the church in Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have, not to or, and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. All right, and so... Um, in this letter, in, in every letter that we're going through in the beginning of Revelation, Jesus has kind of written to these churches, and, and, and John is recording all this for us. Jesus obviously knows everything that's going on in these churches, being that he is uh, God, and so he is able to see things maybe that uh, others may not be able to see. And so he's very well equipped to diagnose these churches with what's going well and maybe what's not going so well. And so he sees all of these things. And so Jesus tells Ephesus what he sees. He says that he sees their works and their labor and their endurance. That he sees all these things that seem really good, that they're trying to live well and do what's right. 
They, they hate what the Nicolaitans do, which is kind of living in self-indulgence. They love righteousness. But as we read, he has one thing against them, and we're going to talk about that pretty extensively today. But he tells them if they do not repent of this, he will remove their lampstand from its place, which sounds kind of cryptic. And actually, this is one of the pieces of imagery in Revelation that is more clear to us because it is explained uh, very clearly in chapter 1. And so in Revelation chapter 1, when it's, it's talking about these lampstands, it says this, I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe and with a, sa a gold sash wrapped around his chest. And then skipping to verse 20, the secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Again, that's talking about like pastors or elders. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so when Jesus says like, hey, if, if you don't repent of this, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Uh, what he's most likely talking about is the church ceasing to exist. Okay, that their, their witness is no longer there, right? They're no longer a witness to the people around them and the church kind of dissolves. And then again, contextually, we're just kind of going through some, some context here. The last thing I want to point out is as we dig into this letter is something that Jesus says at the very end of uh, this passage is that he says, anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is reminding us that this letter that we're reading is valid and, and, uh, and is um, important for us to hear too, right? He's saying, hey, anyone that has ears to hear, you, you can learn from this. And so, with all that said, I really want to own in on what is very obviously the whole point of this letter, right? Jesus commends this church for how righteously they live. They don't tolerate evil, they're working hard. They've had to endure some difficulties for their faith. Right? And Jesus says, hey, good job. You're doing this stuff. Right? You're, you're serving. You're not tolerating sin. You're enduring. But, and this is big, right? But it seems like you've forgotten something. It seems like you've forgotten the most important thing. And he says something that, uh, at least for me, cuts deep. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. And for me, I hear that sentence, and I think there's a little bit of just like tension or weight that comes along with that, a little bit of worry or dread even. Um, and I think that comes from a worry that like, I don't want that to be me, right? I so badly don't want that to be me. I don't want to be, you know, a person that's doing all of these things, but but why? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing them out of a love for God. And, and maybe you feel that way too. And so that's kind of what we're digging into today. Um, Ephesus was, was a church that was so caught up in what they do for God that they'd forgotten why they began to do it. Right? They were a church that had forgotten why Jesus came and what it is that he came to do. And maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Jesus didn't come to, and die on the cross to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Right? He, he came to invite others into a relationship with himself. He, he loved us first so that we might love him in response. But what he didn't come to do is just modify our behavior. Make us better people. 
And, and I worry that for many of us in here, if you're at all like me, uh, it's really, really easy to slip into the trap of playing church. You know what I mean when I say that? Like spending your time doing things that are, they're okay, like they're good things even. Right? Coming to church and you know, going to Bible studies and praying and you know, all these kinds of things, like it's, it's good, but, but doing them and doing them not out of love, but out of an obligation. I should do this. If I don't do these things, maybe I'm not like a good Christian. And this is a person that, you know, gets caught up in making sure that they check every box. Like, there's a lot of spiritual boxes you can check. You'll see those on the screen there. There's, there's many more than just those, right? You can go to church. You can go to a life group. You can study the Bible. You can pray. You can, uh, it, you know, go to small group, talk to other people about Jesus. You can do all kinds of things like that. You could stray from sin, right? You could say, ah, I'm not going to have sex before marriage, or I'm not going to get drunk. Uh, I'm going to try to be kind to other people. Um, I'm going to try to be humble. I'm going to serve others. There's all kinds of good things that you can do. And you'll notice that none of those things are bad, right? Like they're actually good things. And in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Jesus is commending them for being a righteous church. But he says, basically saying, none of these things is a substitute for a deep relationship with Jesus. You can check every Christian box that you want. If you don't have a love for Christ, you'll wind up empty, exhausted, and confused. You'll wind up empty because only Christ can satisfy us and give us life, right? You can do all of those things. None of those things will fulfill you apart from a love from Christ, love for Christ. Exhausted because you're trying to do all of those out of, out of your own will and obligation instead of out of a deep love for Jesus. So you end up exhausted and then confused because why isn't any of this doing what I thought it would? I thought if I did all these things that I would, I would be happier or more joyful. I thought this was supposed to fulfill me, right? If I read my Bible, like what is Christianity for then? Maybe confused because you're doing all the right things and you still don't feel close to God. And you know, if I'm, if I'm honest, I, I feel worried when I read this verse. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. And the reason why is because I, I think lately, you know, for the past month or two, I've been in a season where I've been checking a lot of boxes. Let me be honest with you. I've been checking a lot of spiritual boxes. But have not been doing those out of a love for Jesus. Have not been really intentionally pursuing Jesus at all. And I really, really want that to be enough. Like, there's a part of me that wants that to be enough. I want it to be enough that, you know, I'm serving in his church and I'm being disciplined in reading my Bible. I want it to be enough that I'm uh, meeting with people on a, on a weekly basis to invest in them and, and talk to them about God. I want it to be enough that I'm, you know, helping lead a life group or, or leading Bible studies with people. I, I want to be able to go through these motions and not have to be diligent about actually getting quality time with Jesus. And, and I want that to be able to happen and still feel close to God or, or, or still have the same joy that I had at first when I first started pursuing Jesus. But that's not what's been happening. I can check all these boxes and I can play church, but I can't fabricate a closer relationship with Jesus by doing all these things. And, and maybe, maybe you're the same. I mean, maybe that's where you've been at too. I think it can be easy to get into a rhythm like that where you're, you're, you're doing all these things, 
but you're kind of doing them without Jesus. And honestly, it's like, it's scary to me how easy that is. I, I, I even fear coming up here and preaching out of my own strength, right? Because I know that I'm capable of doing that. I can get up here and talk about the Bible. I can get up here and, and, and teach to you all. I can lead Bible studies or, or sit down with people and share the gospel with them. And I can do all of that out of my own strength if I want. And that does nothing for me and it does nothing for God and it really doesn't do anything for the people listening either. Jesus is saying, listen, it's, it's not very important what you do for me. It is much much more important that you do it with me. And I hope that you understand the difference there. So you can do all kinds of things for Jesus, completely separate from him, completely segregated from him. But what Jesus has designed us for is relationship. And you've got to understand that, that many of the people that Jesus spoke most harshly about and most harshly to are people that looked pretty cleaned up like Pharisees, these, these religious leaders and stuff like that, probably well-respected. You know, they knew the word of God. They were doing a lot of, you know, good things or, you know, neglecting to even do bad things, like neglecting to sin. And we may have people in here that seem just like that. They, they, they seem nice. They go to church. They're well-respected in, in the community, might know their Bible pretty well, but, but doing none of that out of a love for God. You know, it's about following rules or looking a certain way or, uh, you know, maybe even legalism where you're trying to earn God's favor by, by doing all of these things, by checking all of these boxes. But, but Jesus didn't come here to be your self-help guide and he didn't come here to modify your behavior. He came because he wanted to invite you into a relationship with himself. You were designed for it. You're not designed to just be a nicer, more kind person, but to be in step with Jesus. You're designed to know God and any substitute for that, even if it's a good thing, isn't going to do anything for you and it's not going to bring glory to God. And when we live like this, when we, when we put doing things for God above you know, doing things with God and out of a deep love for God, we're effectively living like non-believers. We're living like people that aren't Christians. And what I mean by that is, is really you're doing all the same things that any other religion can offer, right? You're changing yourself into like some kind of better person. But any religion offers that. I mean, that's, that's what they all, except for Christianity, seem to aim to do is, is to make you into a better person. And, and so when we do that, uh, uh, we're... we're more interested in looking all cleaned up instead of living in a life abundant with the Father God. And, and, and as a result, our witness fails. And, and when Jesus says in this scripture that if you don't repent, you will lose your lampstand, like it, it's talking about the church ceasing to exist, but I think along with that is, is the witness of that church it dissipates. It's, it's no longer there. And I think the same is true with us. When we start to go through these motions and, and try to just check off boxes, instead of actually pursuing a deep relationship with Jesus, I mean, our witness is, is useless. And the people around you, they just 
see, oh, this seems like a, a nice person, a, a person that is, they seem somewhat cleaned up. They're, you know, doing a lot of good things, I guess. You know, if I, if I desire to do good things too, I guess I'll ask them about, what, you know, what they do and how I can learn to be a better person or something. And so when they see Christianity, they'll think, oh, it's about being a better person instead of just inviting people into a relationship with the God of the universe like no other religion can offer. And so not only is that completely ineffective, but it's, it's exhausting because you're doing this out of your own power instead of out of the power of the Spirit. And so those of you in this room that have, have struggled with this, they Hopefully you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced it. But that's one way to not love Jesus, right? Is, is, is to, to uh, be so focused on the things that you do for him that you neglect um, inviting him into your life. But, but there's another way, and I'm only going to touch on this just because uh, I think that we'll address it in another one of these letters that um, we're going through in Revelation. But what we're just talking about is, is legalism, right? It's this idea of like, working hard to earn our right place before God, okay? Um, doing a lot of good things so that, you know, God uh, is pleased with us or other people are pleased with us. And the other side of that is licentiousness, which is just free license to, you know, using God's grace as a free license to do whatever you want. It doesn't matter, you know, what I do because God forgives, right? He's gracious. Jesus died on the cross, and so it doesn't matter if I you know, sin or anything like that. And the reason I even mention this is because um, this is the kind of person that may come to church on Sundays, but on Friday or Saturday, they, they're, they're getting wasted, right? They're sleeping around or something like that. Um, you know, that's not the only way to do that. You can uh, sin in all kinds of ways. But the, the difference is between, you know, a Christian and somebody like that is that for a Christian, sin grieves you, right? It, it's upsetting because you love God. And you know that you're doing something against God. And so you want to change even when you struggle. But I need you to understand that if you don't connect with any of what I've been talking about in, about in the church of Ephesus, it's possible that you fall into the, this category where you don't know Jesus at all. And what I mean by that is that it's not as though you've abandoned your first love. It's that maybe you didn't have a first love to begin with. right? Maybe you didn't love Jesus to start. And I don't know if that's you. I don't know how you wandered in here today. Maybe you're, you're seeking, you're searching. I'm not sure. But, but a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is for people that are really struggling with like this legalism of, of, of I need to do things for God instead of with him. But it's really difficult to do that if you've never had a relationship with Jesus to begin with. And so in both of these, in legalism and in licentiousness, it's, it's a struggle of replacing, of, of, of loving God with, with something else. But, but for both of those, Jesus wants a relationship with you. And so these occupy these extreme ends of a spectrum. And so it's like, okay, well, what then? What do we do? Right? How should we respond to this? Well, well, Jesus says exactly what to do. In this passage, he says to repent and do the works that you did at first. And the first part of that makes a ton of sense to me. Repent. Like, turn away from what you've been doing. Turn away from living in this space where you're working hard to please me instead of trying to love me. Turn from that and back towards what you did at first where you loved me and so that motivated you to, to live differently. 
right? The only way to get to that place is to turn around. And, and for me, I know that that's something I'm going to have to continually do. Like this weekend, as I've been preparing for this, it's been like, wow, I need to repent. Like I need to change. Because what I've been doing is, is going through these motions and, 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 and all that. And really, my relationship with God has been, I mean, hit or miss. Like I, I feel like I'm not connecting with God because I'm not really trying. I'm just going through this Bible reading plan or, or something like that. Or going to church or going to life group. And so this weekend, I've been repenting for that and trying to, to reconnect with God and, and refocus on, on him. But I know that tomorrow, I'm going to need to repent again, probably. Like, I've gotten into this, this habit now of, of doing these things and checking these boxes apart from Jesus. And I, I know it's going to take some time to undo that. So tomorrow, I'm probably going to be repenting again. And probably the next day and probably most of this week. That part makes a lot of sense to me. And then he says, and do the works you did at first, which admittedly, when I first read, was confusing because he just got done praising their works and saying, but you really are doing, aren't doing these out of love. So I just say, hey, didn't, didn't Jesus just say that they were like over-focused on doing works and under-focused on loving him? So why did he just say, go back to doing works? Well, I think what he's saying is that the only works that really matter are the ones that are done out of a deep love for him. And so in, in a sense, he's saying, repent and go back to loving me. Right? Do the work of loving me, pursuing me in relationship. And so to, to help visualize this, um, there's this passage I've been dwelling on a ton um, this semester. And uh, it's in Luke 10, and I think it really covers this same idea. Um, so Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Um, this is talking about Jesus and, and Mary and Martha. While they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. And so Martha was doing much like the church in Ephesus, right? She was focused on doing things for Jesus. She forgot, so focused on that that she forgot to love him and enjoy him. Meanwhile, Mary is sitting at his feet and learning from him and just enjoying being in his presence. And Martha doesn't like this. Like, why isn't Mary doing more? Why isn't she helping me? And Jesus says this, and I just keep coming back to it. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And this is as true for Mary, Martha, and the church in Ephesus as it is for us. There is only one thing that is necessary for us, and that's to love God with everything that we have. And that seems like a worthy motto to live by this semester. When I'm worried and stressed about if I'm doing enough, to be reminded, look, there's only one thing that's necessary. The only thing that matters is my relationship and my intimacy with Jesus. All those other things are fluff. What matters is sitting at the Lord's feet and enjoying him. And so what I'm, what I'm hoping that you're getting out of this is what if this week, instead of trying to check the boxes, you just sat at the Lord's feet? Instead of trying to make sure that we're doing enough, we just enjoyed his presence 
And what if instead of reading the Bible to get through it, we invited Christ into that time and asked him to speak to us? What if instead of living in a segmented manner where we give God a small slice of our day and then ignore him the rest, we invite him into everything? Listen, I, I know that God loves you all. I, I love you all. I'm so thankful um, for, for everything that God's done and everything that he's doing in our church. Um, my prayer for you guys is just that you would sit at the Lord's feet this week, that you would uh, be more focused on being with him than doing for him. And so um, let's pray. I'm going to pray, and I, I, I want you, this is my prayer to God. And so if you are in agreement with any of the things that I'm praying, just, just call out to the Lord during that time and, and during worship. So let's, let's pray and let's worship. Father, Lord, I just confess that, that I've been more focused on, on doing spiritual things than actually drawing near to you. God, I've been so focused on, on disciplines or making sure that I'm spending my time well. I've been so focused on checking off all these spiritual boxes that you know, it seems like I'm supposed to do. But I've been so focused on all of those things that I've really forgotten you, and I think I've abandoned my first love, just like Jesus is saying here. I've forgotten to engage with you and invite you into my life. Jesus, I repent of that. But I pray that you forgive me, and I pray that you help me to change God, I want to be different. I want to seek you with everything I have. Lord, help me not to be focused on just doing things, but be focused on being with you, Lord. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and for loving us regardless of our shortcomings. In Christ's name.